Well, howdy and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today is our first week in the study of the book of Revelation. I'm glad to have you with me, and I can't wait to jump into this study. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into week one of our study of the book of Revelation. I want to turn to Revelation chapter one, and we want to read verse three. One verses one through three real quick. I think this is the most powerful why we should study a book in the Bible that there is in scripture in general. So from the NIV, this is Revelation one, starting in verse one, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to, and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. This is a really important promise, and it's one of the, really, it's really the only promise in all of Scripture for reading a particular book of the Bible. Now, this is a generally true of all of the books of the Bible, that we read them, we're going to be blessed. But this is the only commanded and promised blessing for reading this book in all of Scripture, this specific book. And so we want to read Revelation. We want to soak up as much as we can out of it. If you'd like a little bit more background information on the book of Revelation, check out week one, day one of our podcast, our broadcast for the book of Revelation. And and I go into a lot more detail on why we study it, why people don't study it, and how we should get into it. But with that read, with kind of our why out of the way, I want to jump into the study guide here. So we're going to come back to the questions at the end, but I have them at the beginning of the chapter for those of you that go through it. It's always there right at the beginning, an easy place to find. So first of all, I want to start out by talking about who is the author of this book. It's addressed to John, but who is this John? Well, we understand what almost all scholars agree, not not 100%, but almost all scholars agree that this is John the Apostle, the, the, the disciple whom Jesus loved. The one who wrote the book of John is also the one that's writing the book of Revelation. The time period for this is somewhere around 90 AD. No one knows exactly, but there are a few things kind of in external history, external references where we know they probably happened after this thing and before this thing. And so uh, this is more than likely written around 90 AD. Some people will put it in the 60 AD range. It's somewhere in there, but this is not written in the 150 AD range. It's not written in the 30 AD range, nothing like that. So it's in this window of time where John is an old man, but is is, is being given one, this one last revelation before he goes to be with Jesus himself. Now, the purpose of writing this book is for Jesus to give John, and by extension us, The revelation that he wants us to have, not just about the end times, but about eternity and the things that are coming so that we're aware before we face those things. Jesus doesn't want us to go through those things without facing them. In Matthew, when he's speaking about the end times, Jesus tells him, look, you know, stars will will fall and disappear. The sun and the moon will no longer give its light. But listen, I want I'm telling you this now so you don't freak out when it happens like it's me doing this. So when that stuff happens. 
don't be worried. I'm in the middle of all of this. Just understand that like it's coming. I want you to know ahead of time and it's going to be a little freaky, a little crazy, but I'm going to be in the midst of it. So don't worry. That's an important thing for us to understand as we go through the book of Revelation is there's going to be lots of really scary stuff in here that I believe doesn't have to be as scary as most people believe it to be. And the purpose behind the Lord telling us all of this stuff is so that we know that it's him, number one, the reason why he's doing it all. That's a really important thing that I think we need to get out of the book of Revelation. And I think most people, when they study the book of Revelation, they miss the why Jesus is revealing this to us. We get bogged down in all the details and when this happens and what about this seal and this bowl and all that. And those are important things. But the why behind it is super important. Why is Jesus telling us this? And why is it important for us to know ahead of time? That's going to be really key as we go through this book. And we'll dive into that in great detail as we go through this. Now, jumping into chapter 1, which is what we're studying this week, John is going to give us uh, his greeting Jesus is going to greet him, and then John is going to greet us. John's going to tell us that he's on the island of Patmos. The short version of why John is on the island of Patmos is because of the persecution by the Romans, they had tried to kill or martyr John by putting him in a vat of boiling oil. And when they did that, it didn't harm him. All of the rest of the apostles were martyred in some, uh, I mean, some gruesome ways, some not so gruesome, but they were all killed before Uh, They died of old age by martyrdom. They tried that with John. It didn't work. They they put him in the vat of boiling oil and, you know, we had this awkward moment where he's just kind of like standing there, not shrieking, not dying, and he's fine. And so the Romans were pretty freaked out by that and pretty terrified of John, so much so that they decided not to try and kill him again. They just exiled him to the island of Patmos, which is this rocky, desolate place in the middle of the Aegean Sea. Not the middle, but the off the coast of what we call Turkey in the Aegean Sea. John is greeting the seven churches in what we call what they called Asia, what we would call Western Turkey in modern days. And these are churches that John is familiar with, but they're also churches that Jesus has directly told him to address. John ended up in the city of Ephesus before he was exiled, before they tried to kill him, because uh, he and Mary, the mother of Jesus, actually ended up there. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, he tells John, behold, your mother. He's saying, take care of my mother for the rest of your life. John did that. They eventually ended up in the city of Ephesus, which is kind of the epicenter of these seven churches. Uh, And when Mary passed on, the persecution hit. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. So that's kind of the context, the the background behind who John is and who these seven churches are and kind of where all of the geography of this is. So while John is on the island of Patmos, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, whatever that means. That's kind of a strange saying. Some people would say that, you know, the Lord's day is is the Sabbath. Some Some would say that it's Sunday because by this point, Um, the church had already begun to switch to meeting on Sundays instead of Saturdays. So it could have been Sunday. It could have been the Sabbath because John is still a Jewish man. So maybe he's still, you know, in the spirit on the Lord's day, the Sabbath, since he's Jewish. It could be another high holy day or festival 
We don't really know. There's lots of different theories about this, but in the end, it's a day that ends in Y, and John is in the Spirit. Again, we don't even know what that means. Is he having a vision, a trance like Peter had in the book of Acts, or is he just meditating and praying? Whatever it is, that's the context. He's on this rocky, craggy island, and the Lord visits him in a very powerful way. As we read through chapter 1, I would encourage you to read this not as John using his imagination or as John trying to explain a, a mental image he's having or an imagination that he's had, but actually John is telling us right here very clearly that, hey, this is what I saw. I turned around. I hear this voice like a trumpet. I turn around and I see Jesus and he looks like this, right? And and he looks like this, right? He knows Jesus and he's seen a resurrected Jesus. But when he sees Jesus like this, it freaks him out so much that he falls on his face, terrified. Jesus does what all the angels in the Old Testament do. He reaches down. He tells him, like, don't be afraid. It's all right. It's You know me. And, and so... John gets up and he and he's going to have the the beginnings of this conversation with Jesus himself but we need to understand that this is this is not John coming up with some descriptive language like he's writing a novel about Jesus this is what he saw and we need to make sure that we're very careful to read what John writes and not try to paint it in a picture of our own imagination, but read it as it's as it's written. John says, I saw this. I turned around and I saw this. Let's take him at his word when he says things like that. Now, a lot of people are afraid to study the book of Revelation because of all the symbolism involved in the book. And there is a lot of symbolism. And some of it's pretty weird. Some of it is a little scary at times. But a lot of people tend to not want to read it because of that symbolism because they think they can't understand it. But what we're going to see here in chapter 1 is that most of the book of Revelation, anytime a symbol is introduced, more often than not, it's immediately interpreted for us. And when it's not immediately interpreted, it's interpreted more than likely somewhere else in the book of Revelation. And for the rare few that that's not the case, it's some symbol that's actually already pre-existing somewhere else in Scripture, and it's an allusion to that, that other thing somewhere else in Scripture. If we read God's Word, we'll know it from that place. And then there's a very, very small minority of symbols in this book that have no immediate interpretation in the book of Revelation or anywhere else in Scripture. So as we go through this, understand that most of the interpretation of the symbols are actually in the book, and they're given their force. And we see that in chapter 1, we're told about the stars and the lampstands and all these things, and we're immediately told what the interpretation is, is the lampstands are the seven churches, and the seven stars that Jesus is holding in his hand are the seven angels. Now, one issue with that, with the interpretation of that, is because the Greek for that is literally messengers— which is the exact same thing. It can be used interchangeably as messengers or angels, same, same word. Some people, uh, and, and this is a matter of interpretation, not necessarily understanding what the scripture is saying, is, is it actually talking about angels that have a principality power, like God's holy angels have a principality power over those seven churches, or is it talking about the pastors, the messengers, the, the, the mouthpieces of those individual churches? 
Um, there's debate on that between people, but one way or the other, we're speaking to someone who has some authority over these churches. So we're speaking to the church themselves, the body of believers, not a building, but a group of people who are called by the name of Jesus in these cities, and then some form of leadership within the kingdom of God, either an angel or the pastor of the church, maybe even both. And so that's who we're speaking to, and that's our the understanding that we need to move forward with as we go through this book. This book is originally written to these seven churches about the things that are going to happen, but we know that by extension, they're also to us because they have to do with the end times and also with eternity. And so this is a very powerful book for us to read and comprehend. Even if we're not in one of those seven churches, which none of us are, those seven churches don't exist anymore, but it's going to be a powerful study for all of us to engage in. So each week as we go through this, I want to pick out a couple of the questions in the study guide and ask those and give some time to uh, respond. You can pause the video and, and have some question and answer time amongst yourself, but I think I want to pick out a couple of these each week to go through that I think are probably especially helpful for discussion. The first one is actually question four in the study guide is, is revelation meaningful to us today? And if yes, why, why is it meaningful for you today? The second question that I want to talk about is actually question five. And that is what is the meaning of the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands? We just discussed that it's in here, but I want to add to that why do you think that the Lord is using symbolism instead of just being clear, especially if he's in the cases of the seven stars and the seven lampstands, he's immediately clear afterwards. Why use the symbolism in the first place? Well, with that, that is the end of our study for week one of the book of Revelation. Again, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Thank you for joining me, and I can't wait to see you next week. Well, thanks for joining me today on our study. Would you like and subscribe to wherever you're watching this? It really helps more people find out about our broadcast. And my heart is for more people to fall in love with God and his word. Yeah.